0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. All right, well, several years ago, I was making my way through the fire academy and now... One of the things you have to do in the fire academy in order to pass, in order to become a firefighter, is you have to be able to don on or to put on all of your gear in under two minutes. That goes by pretty quick when you have a lot of gear to put on. Now, they teach you how to lay everything out, the correct order, how to put everything on in the correct order, so that nothing gets missed. Now, I was getting pretty good at this. And I was bound and determined on the final night of testing that I was going to hit under 90 seconds. And I actually did. I'm pretty proud of myself, but it didn't feel so proud in the moment because when I finished, I finished only to discover that Kyle across the room finished before me. Pride hit right there. I'm like, okay. So I kept reassuring myself and saying, Jacob, you made it in under 90 seconds. That's fine. So then the instructor, he comes over he begins to check out my gear. He begins to pull on everything, make sure everything is on correctly. And he said, congrats, you passed. Yes. Then he goes over to Kyle. Now church, I was taken back probably as much as Kyle was when I heard him say, you failed. I'm like, what? What? How in the world did he fail? He beat me done. I'm sitting here, I'm trying to look around him from across the room, and I'm like, everything looks correct. I'm like, How did he fail? Church, the answer to that question, I'll give you here in just a few moments. Church, today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 22. If you want to meet me there in your Bibles, or if not, the scripture will be on the screen. But in Matthew chapter 22, what we see here is we actually can see a parable that Jesus tells us. And in this parable, it's called the parable of the wedding feast. So, In this parable, let's start at verse 1, pick me up in verse 1, and Jesus says, Jesus speaks to them a parable, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call on those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen. My fat calves have been slaughtered. The barbecue is ready. Just come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. we got some entrepreneurs here. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now here's some controversy, verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment and said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. There is this town in the western UK, somewhere in the Midlands, that is known for swine farming. Now, some tension began to rise several years ago when people of the Muslim faith began to move into this community. Now, if you know anything about our friends in the Muslim community, they're not down with swine. And frustration began to rise. The Muslim people felt like they were being infringed upon, and so much tension began to rise, it eventually reached this apex to where the city council decided to vote and have all images of swine removed from any public place. That's right, the story of the three little pigs can no longer be told in class. Any images of swine had to be removed from calendars or any pictures in town. I'm not making this up. There is this, there's this uh, tissue box that has our friend Winnie the Pooh on it with guess who, his best friend Piglet. Those had to go too. Now, one of the council members who was Muslim, when he was asked if he thought this was a bit of an overreach, church, here was his direct reply said it's a tolerance of people's beliefs. It's a tolerance of people's beliefs. Now, I'm not here to say whether or not the pigs needed to go, but if your justification for removing the pigs was that we needed to be more tolerant of what others believe, well, then what about the people who believe that the pigs were Okay. So I'm here to say to you this morning, Wilmington Church of Christ, welcome to the world's tolerance. What does this mean? You see, tolerance is the idea that it's kind of like a cousin to relativism. Relativism is the idea that truth, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder. You might know people like this. They might be your neighbor. It might be a coworker. It might even be a family member. I mean, we turn on the TV, tolerance is everywhere, and it pretty much goes something like this. You be a good Christian, I'll be a good atheist, you be a good Mormon, you be a good agnostic, you be a good Muslim, you just be true to you, you just do you, and everything is fine. But now the moment that you start to put what you believe on me, well, now you've gone too far. Because again, this idea of tolerance is that there is no such thing as any moral absolutes. In fact, a scholar by the name of Thomas A. Humbach, he says, The definition of the world's tolerance is that every individual's beliefs, values, lifestyle, and perception of truth claims are equal. There is no hierarchy of truth. Your beliefs and my beliefs are equal, and all truth is relative. Welcome to the world's tolerance. Now, the world's tolerance, it has no problem with us being Christians. It has no problem with us being Christian, but it has every problem in the world when we begin to talk about the exclusive claims of Christianity. You see, that's where there's the rub. Now, in fact, this idea of world's tolerance, it's not new. It's been around for centuries. We can even read about it in the history books, in the Bible, but we now see it more publicized now more than ever in our culture. And now we are even seeing Christians make false claims about truth. In fact, there is a singer and songwriter I grew up listening to, and it breaks my heart because he has now adapted this mindset, and he says there's now multiple ways to heaven because all truth is relative. We see public claims coming from people who call themselves Christians saying, there is no such thing as absolute truth. They're saying things like, that's your truth, or that's my truth, or all truth is relative. But listen, church, there is only the truth. And truth doesn't become any less true just because fewer people are speaking it. There's a book I've been reading. It's been very helpful for me, and I would recommend anyone to read it. It's by D.A. Carson. It's called The Intolerance of Tolerance. Now, in his book, D.A. Carson states that the world's tolerance thinks of itself as intrinsically neutral free from any ethical, moral, or religious system of thought. Yet this is not so. The problem is worse than mere inconsistency, for the world's tolerance regularly smuggles into the culture massive structures of thought and imposes and imposes them on others who disagree, while insisting that the others are the intolerant people. So what is the result of all this? Sociologists now say that we live in a post-truth society. In church, if we live in a post-truth society, that means we live in a post-Christian society. And we're now seeing through the latest Barnum poll, we can actually see that 44% of people, 44% of all people do not believe in any absolute truth. Now listen, if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you need to understand something. Christianity, it's very loving, it's very gracious, and I am sorry if you have experienced anything other than that from someone who would call themselves a Christian, but by design of Christ, Christianity, it's very loving, it's very gracious, it's very welcoming, yet at the same time, it's very Exclusive. In fact, let's look at what Jesus has to say. Now, church, if you remember from the last time I preached, if at any point Scripture is highlighted, I would like for you to help me emphasize those words by reading them out loud with me. So if it's highlighted, it's for you. So Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says to them, I am the way, exclusive, and... Maybe we need to say that a little ladder. And not your truth, not my truth, not multiple truth, one truth, exclusive. And no one comes to the Father, exclusive. A little later on, a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul, he says, for there is, how much? One God. And one. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, exclusive. Exclusive. Exclusively. This is where we're at now. This this is what's going on in the culture. This idea of tolerance. There is a. There is actually a. I, I love this. Well, actually, actually let's go on. <laughs> this is a. I was thinking of not too long ago. I was thinking about the conversation God had with his son, Jesus. And what if it went something like this? Jesus, I need you to go down to earth. I need you to live amongst these people. I need you to show them how to love. Show them how to live. Show them how to build the kingdom of heaven. And yet, at the same time, be rejected by them, be arrested Have your beard plucked out. Be beaten within an inch of your life. Have a crown of thorns put on your head. Go to the cross and die for their sins just so you could be one of many options. If I'm Jesus, I'm going, no way. Listen, we need to grasp something. Jesus loves you profoundly. Jesus loves you and he loves me profoundly, but he did not die just to become a buffet option. So this idea of the world's tolerance, it goes against the grains of what Christianity teaches. And so tomorrow you're going to wake up, you're going to go into a workplace, or you're going to go into a a, um, classroom, into places that are filled with people who have been embedded with this mindset of thinking. And so how as Christians, as followers of Christ, how do we think about and give answers to the world's tolerance? in a way that is faithful to Scripture and is packaged in a loving and gracious way. You see, because we need to see what God's perspective is on this mindset. And in order to get God's perspective on this and to see how we as Christians fit into this, then I think Matthew 22 does a great job of that for us. So let's go back to Matthew 22 because I at the beginning of this Section at the beginning of this scripture, I love this imagery of Christ comparing, of Christ comparing Christianity and the kingdom of heaven to be like a wedding feast. I love this imagery because weddings are a very joyous occasion. It's a place marked by joy, it's a time of joyous occasion, and as Christians, that is what we are to be marked by. We're to be marked by joy. It's like Dale talked about last week when we looked at Romans chapter 14, where the Apostle Paul says that the kingdom of heaven is neither a matter of eat or drink, but it's a place that's marked by joy, by righteousness, and by peace. I love this imagery. And so now we have this king who clearly represents God. He tells his servants, hey, I need you to go out and invite everyone you can find. And invite everyone. They've got to get in on this. I don't want them to miss this wedding feast. And so... So we see the servants, they go out, they go out, and they come to the first group of people who are these wealthy entrepreneurs. Because in this day and age, if you owned your farmland, if if you owned your own business, you're considered to be prosperous. And the answer they get from them is pretty much a shrug of the shoulder. They pretty much say, Ah, life's pretty good right now. We don't really have time to get in on that, we'll pass. This might be a word for America right here. This might be a word for someone in this room. Because it's interesting that where you have prosperity, you also have this thing called secularism. Because when things are going really well, it is very hard to get people to see their need for God. That is why prosperity is a terrible teacher. And so they pretty much say, we're good, we're going to pass. So they come to the next group of people. These people, they seize the servants, they kill them. And although we don't see this much in America yet, um, if you know anything about Christianity on a global scale, or even historically, this has to do with the persecuted church. So now four servants are sent out, and we have a group of people who accept the invitation to the wedding feast. And so at the end of our story, they cut right to the... The king walks in, the place is packed. Everyone is feasting, having a good time. The DJ's doing his thing. The king scans the room and there is an individual that stands out. And the king says, how did you get in here? Why did this individual stand out? He wasn't wearing a wedding garment. Now I know with our 21st century minds, we would probably view what the king does next as being cruel. Because the king says, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. There's really no polite way of saying this. In the parable, what he's really saying is, send him to hell. And with our 21st century minds, we're probably thinking, what in the world? Why would he do that? Did the king ever stop to think, maybe this guy's poor. Maybe he can't afford the wedding garment. Maybe he's homeless. Listen though, if you know, if you know anything about the first century culture, and they still even do this in some cultures today, it is customary for the wedding host, in this case the king, it is customary that the wedding host pays for everything, including the cultural tradition of providing each wedding guest with a wedding garment. The king has paid for it all. The king has made the proper provisions for each guest to come into the wedding hall the proper traditional way. And so this guy shows up to the wedding hall. He walks in. He has a wedding garment readily available for him, purchased by the king. And he comes in and he says, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not going to come in the way the king has prepared for me to come in. I'm going to come in here however I feel like I want to come in here. Church, this passage of Scripture, the Bible is so relevant to our culture even today. Because this is this mindset of thinking. Oh, I can get to heaven But I'm going to come into heaven on my own terms. I'm going to get into heaven based on how I feel. I'm going to come into heaven however I want to come into heaven. And you need to tolerate that. And now the king is appalled. And he says, are you kidding me? I have paid everything so you could have a wedding garment." I had a wedding garment available for you. I made the proper provisions for you to come in the correct way. And you're going to come in here however you feel like you want to come in here? You're going to come in here on your own terms? No. Get them out of here. Because only the people wearing the wedding garment that I have prepared is attending this feast. I was taken back when the instructor told uh, Kyle he failed, and I'm sitting here like, what in the world? And I was trying to make judgment calls, but here's the thing. I was making judgment calls across the room. And the reality was it was not my job to inspect someone else. That was the job of the instructor. There is this garment that firefighters wear. It's called the hood. Hood it's exactly that. It's a hood. It goes over your head. And what it does is it protects the back of your neck and your ears from being burnt. And now when they train you on how to put on your gear, they train you to put this on first. Because this can be so easy to forget about and just leave stuffed in your coat pocket. That's exactly what Kyle did. He left it in his coat pocket. So the instructor failed him. Now here's the interesting part. Kyle began to argue with the instructor why he should still become a firefighter even though he put things on wrong. He even said this. Hey, what's the big deal? If this was the real thing, if this was a real fire, I would remember to put it on. He even said this. I don't see what the big deal is. I have everything else on, right? It's just in my pocket. But then the instructor gets right in his face and he says, hey, listen, you are not gonna tell me what you will or will not wear. And you are not gonna tell me how you will or will not become a firefighter. If you want to become a firefighter, you have got to wear everything and wear it correctly. Church, are we getting this? You see, The fire academy, they're not down with the world's tolerance. They're exclusive. If you want to become a firefighter, you have got to do it the correct way. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you're not going to do it based on how you feel. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, church, you're not going to do it based on what you want your own terms to be. No, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have got to do it through the garment of the righteousness of Christ Jesus, who says you must confess your sins, confess God, be buried to your old self, and raised to new life. That is how you enter the kingdom of heaven, period, exclusively. No exceptions. So, church, there are three things I want to point out. Three problems with this world's tolerance, then I want us to see what the real problem is. Number one, it's individual. It's individual. What do I mean by that? You see, the problem for those who subscribe to this mindset of thinking is that they're not searching outwards or upwards for truth, they're searching inwards. It's like the book of Judges says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so I will not look to the standard of God or I will not look to what the scripture has to say. I will just search inwards and stitch together my own truth and whatever works best for me. Here's the problem with that. You ready for a secret? It might not be a secret to you. You and I are not reliable sources. When you think about all the crazy, messed up stuff in your life and in mine? Would you think about all the times you've gotten so wrong, even on the little things? And we're gonna trust ourselves on this? I don't know about you all, you might do this too, but if I go anywhere I haven't been before, I'm consulting Siri. Siri becomes my best friend. You you probably do the exact same thing too. How am I gonna be trusting Siri to drive 20 miles to get to somewhere I've never been before, and I'm really going to trust myself to get to heaven? We're not reliable sources when we search inwards for truth. Number two, it's nonsensical. The, The claims being made about truth and how truth is relative, these false claims, they're nonsensical. And if refuted correctly... You can actually point out that the claims being made are self-defeating claims. Often how you do that is by just applying the claim to itself. What's an example of that? If I was to come on stage and I was to say, I cannot speak a word of English, that don't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Because if you apply the claim to itself, help me out, church, you would just say, you just did you just did and you have shown me i have no ground to stand on and my claim becomes self-defeating we hear this a lot all truth is relative all truth is relative today okay well we can ask them why they feel that way or we can apply the claim to itself and say is that a relative truth Right? Is that a relative truth? Because if you're wanting us to take your claim seriously that all truth is relative, then you're actually wanting your claim to be an absolute truth. But it can't be because of your claim. It states that it's a relative truth. So if we ask, is that a relative truth? It becomes a self-defeating claim. I like this one because we see this a lot in America today. It's true for you, but not for me. You might have heard that before. It's true for you, but not for me. Okay, well let's apply the claim to itself. Let's ask: is that true for everybody? Is that claim true for everybody? Is it true for everybody that it's true for you and not for me? Because if it's true for everybody that's true for you and not for me, then true for you and not for me can't be true because it has to be true for everybody. You give it up. You want your claim to be taken seriously, you're wanting everybody to believe a claim, therefore, you're wanting the claim to be absolute, which means there can only be one truth because it has to be true for everybody. Another way I like to refute this one is saying, try this with your bank teller. Go to your bank and say, I would like to withdraw $100,000 from my account. They'll type in your information and say, I'm sorry, you you only have $147 in your account. Well, that's true for you, but not for me. Give me the $100,000. Right, Because if you want your claim to be taken seriously, it has to be true for everybody, which implies there can only be one truth. It's nonsensical. Number three, it's hypocritical. It's hypocritical. Listen, the world's tolerance will only tolerate those which they view to be tolerant. Keep it up, let me say that again. The world's tolerance will only tolerate those which they view to be tolerant. Rome was fine with Christianity as long as they could just be one of any options. But now the moment Christians started saying, we're not bowing down to Caesar. We serve one God and it's not you. Well, now there's a problem. And now we have persecution. Actually, if you read news today, you might even see that even in our culture today, Christians are now being kicked off of college campuses in the name of tolerance. This is the true story. It happened a couple years ago. There is a, a school in Iowa, a campus that had a Christian group that met every Wednesday night on campus. It was open to the public. But after several weeks, some people from the group came up and said, we would like to become leaders of this group. And the leaders of the group, they said, I'm sorry, in order to be a leader of this group, you, have, you must be a Christian. Well, now they go and report that to the dean, and the school kicks the Christian group off of campus for not being tolerant to the other students. But what's interesting is that in this school's handbook, it states that we are tolerant to all beliefs and all walks of life. So let me get this straight. You say you, tolerant other people's, you tolerate other people's beliefs, But Christians believe something different than you, then you're going to kick them off campus. Well, that sounds like intolerance. It's hypocritical, it can be nonsensical, and it's individual. Now, church, are you ready for the real problem? You see, because tolerance is not the real problem, but it is only a means to a greater end, which is each individual's personal happiness. That's at the core. I just want to do life on my own terms. I just want to do whatever makes me happy. If I want to sleep with X amount of people before I'm married, I can do that because it's going to make me happy. If if I want to search inwards and stitch together my own truth, my own roadmap to life, my own roadmap to heaven, I can do that because what I'm going to come up with is going to make me happy. You see, though, here's the problem with that testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony. You talk to someone who's been doing life on their own terms in the name of happiness, they're not happy. There's a movie that came out a couple years ago. You might have seen it. It's called Bohemian Rhapsody. And it's the true story of the life of Freddie Mercury, the singer. Now, from an outside perspective looking in, Freddie Mercury was a guy doing life on his own terms. He did whatever made him happy. He had everything. He had all of the fame, all of the money, all of the sex, all of the cars, all of the houses, doing life on his own terms. Even he admitted before he passed away. His bandmates admitted, his family admitted And even in this movie, there are so many points where you see him, even though he has all of these things, he is extremely alone, hollow, and extremely unhappy. How can you have all of these things? All of the fame, the money, the the cars, the sex, the houses, how can you have all of these things and be extremely unhappy? this leads to a hard lesson in life that some people have to learn the hard way. And that lesson is that life on your own terms will not bring you the long-term fulfillment you thought. Now, church, are we ready for the good news? We ready for the good news? This is where the gospel comes in. This is where the gospel comes in. This is where Jesus comes in. He says, I have come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Good news, church. Jesus is for your happiness. He is for your happiness. He just says, we need to get to it a different way. Because the lesson with Jesus is, in order to obtain a greater freedom in eternity, you're going to have to give up doing life on your own terms here. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here and you've been living life on your own terms for the sake of happiness. Maybe you have already started to discover that it's not bringing you the long-term fulfillment you thought. And maybe you know you just need to surrender to Jesus. You need to repent, confess, be buried to your old self, and raise to new life. If that's you today and you haven't done that yet, you haven't made that decision yet, what in the world are you waiting for? If that's a decision you want to talk about making today, finally me have to serve us at that back door and we'll talk about making that decision. Now, Christian, I want to talk to you for just a moment. Christian, we need to figure out where our role is in all of this where our role is in this story in Matthew 22 because it's the same role that we carry today. See, because so many times we make the mistake and we want to be the king. We want to say you're in or you're out. That's not our job. We're not qualified to have that job. Our job is the job of the servant. We are the servant and our role is the invitation. Our job as a servant of Christ is to deliver the invitation of the wedding feast, deliver the invitation of God to the world. That is our calling. That was our calling in the story. That's our calling now, even in a divided culture. So there are three things I need us to realize about our calling, three things about the invitation we need to grasp. Number one, the invitation is God's to give, but ours to deliver. It's God's to give, but he says, I want you to be a part of what I am doing. I am calling on you to deliver the invitation to the world. That is our job, Christian. That is the great commission. We get to be a part of taking the invitation of God to a divided world. Number two, the invitation is given in love. It's given in love. Love is why we have an invitation to give. Why do we deliver it in love? Because that's how the invitation was given to us, so that's how we are to deliver it to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the reason we have an invitation That is the calling from God on how to deliver the invitation. The call to be Christ-like, to be a peacemaker in a broken world, it starts with delivering the invitation of God in love. If you've been here for any of this series on peacemakers, that's what a peacemaker is. Even in a divided culture, deliver the invitation in love. Number three, the invitation is for all. Catch this good and bad. It's for everyone, good and bad. The servants were sent out to tell everyone they can find about the invitation of Christ. They gathered all whom they found, good and bad. We don't get to decide who does or does not get an invitation to Christ. We don't get to say, Jimmy, mm, he's had a messed up life. He needs to work on some things before he comes to Christ. We don't get to say, ah, did you see Kelly on her Facebook who she voted for? Maybe we should hold off giving her an invitation. No, no, that's not how it works. We don't get to decide who gets the invitation. Our job is to deliver the invitation in love to everyone we can find. The Holy Spirit is the person who works on the hearts. God makes the final decision of who is in or who is out, who has accepted him and who has not. The king makes the judgment calls, we do not. That is our call. And that means we are delivering an invitation to the world, to people we like and people we may not like. To people we agree with or people we may not agree with politically, theologically, over cultural issues of truth. Our calling is the invitation. We need to examine ourselves, what are we doing with that invitation? Listen, truth is constantly on trial in our culture and in the world. And yes, it is good to stand up for what is true. It is a good thing to defend truth. It's a good thing to have the knowledge of how the world thinks. It's good to have the knowledge of how to refute false claims made about truth. But if the love of Christ is not behind what you're doing, then Christ is not behind what you're doing. That's what being a peacemaker is. Having the love of Christ behind everything you do. Listen, it is possible to have a loving conversation with someone and correct them when they're wrong. Do you know that? It is very possible to have a loving conversation with someone and correct them. But listen, if the motivation behind your conversation is not the invitation of God, then your motivation may just be pride and not Christ. What are we doing with the invitation of Christ? Christian, are we holding on to it and being selfish and saying, I'm deciding who gets this or not? Are we going off on our own way and saying, no, we don't have time for that? Or... Are we saying I am going to deliver, answer the call of Christ as a peacemaker in a divided culture that does nothing but want to be at each other's throats. I'm going to take that invitation to everybody, good and bad, and deliver it in love. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, Be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining and we will see you back here next time.